in this series called Life Is, just simply saying this, all of us have philosophy of life, right? It's the way you look at life. Uh, You could finish the sentence, life is, and that's going to be your philosophy of life. A lot of you sent me uh, little cute, I guess you'd say most of them, quotes, uh, life is, fill in the blank, right? Uh, Some of them that some of you sent me, some of them are just kind of benign. They're kind of like things on your wall. Life is beautiful. That makes me feel good, right? I like that. Life is beautiful. Life is what you make it. You've probably heard that one before, right? Uh, Life is, I like this one. Life is too short to worry about stupid things. Amen. I like that one, right? Somebody sent me this. Life is not always a matter of holding good cards, Sometimes it's playing a poor hand well. That's pretty good, right? That's probably true. Uh, Somebody sent me this. Life is funny. If you're older in the room, uh, and you can judge whether you're older or not, right? But this one will make sense to you. Life is funny. When you're young, you want to be older. And those who are older wish they were younger. Give me an amen on that one, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true, right? Life is better when you're laughing. Uh, I, I, I could read tons of these, right? But the one that stuck out to me that I think is my mantra, my philosophy of life, you ready? Worth writing down. Some of you ought to write this down. Life is too short to have boring hair. Amen? I like that, right? In fact, I would just say life's too short to have hair, right? Amen? Hey, Romans 5, five weeks. Why are we doing five weeks? Romans chapter eight, here's why. We're doing it because in Romans eight, he tells us what life is attached to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Life is something attached to Jesus. Jesus said, when you attach your life to me, life, you experience it to the fullest. It's what he called abundant life. And so Romans 8 is all about that. Romans 8 is about life attached to Jesus or the words that Paul uses, same difference is that it is life led by the spirit. It is life filled with the spirit. That's life attached to Jesus. And so last week, Here's what he said, verses 1 through 11. He said that when my life is attached to Jesus, life is freedom. We said, some of you have even, thank you for your stories, by the way. I'm still getting them. I still want them. Okay? I have people email, I didn't know that you really wanted them. I say what I mean, mean what I say. I want them. I'd take a thousand of them. I want your stories. Some of you have been sharing with me, I didn't realize I was in prison, but I'm in a prison. I'm in a prison of my past. I'm in the prison of performance. And Paul says, life is freedom. Attached to Christ, I am free in Christ from the penalty of my sin. Listen up. If you weren't here last week, we said there's two kinds of people. Either you're in Christ or you're not in Christ. You're either in Christ, you've said yes to Jesus, attached your life to Jesus, or you're not. He says, in Christ, check's been paid. In Christ, the debt has been paid. Penalty for sin, I'm free of. And the moment I'm in Christ, this is key, the moment I say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside. That's what he says. And when the Holy Spirit lives inside, he said that brings another freedom, and that's freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the power of sin is focusing on what the Holy Spirit desires. When I focus on what the Holy Spirit desires, I enjoy a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And when I enjoy a fellowship because I am focusing, then what happens is all of a sudden, the fruit of the Spirit, that's my life, begins to look more and more like Jesus. He wants to go somewhere else today, and we're going to just kind of make some observation of the next several verses. Look at your Bibles, let's read it, and then let's make some observations. Verse 12, he says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. We're going to come back to that. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit are the, say it out loud with me, are the what? Are the children of God. 
The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. We just sang about that. So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's what? God's what? Say it out loud, God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let's stop right there. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying this, so key, that when my life is attached to Jesus, life is freedom. And then today he said, let's keep going. When my life is attached to Jesus, life is belonging. But not just belonging. Life is belonging to God's family. Life is all about belonging to this new family. I'm now part of the family of God. Now, here's what I know. Uh, You already know this. You maybe just don't think about it. We all have this deep desire to belong. It is in the human experience that we have a need to belong. That's not just a religious statement, by the way. Uh, You can read psychologists. You can read philosophers. You can read whoever. You're like, I don't even believe in God. You know this. You know that the human experience is we have a need to belong. Psychology Today, 2014, said this. Why we all need to belong. The, The guys writing the article argue that the lack of belongingness in our culture, I don't know what all is going on in our culture, but the lack of feeling like we belong causes all kinds of undesirable effects, including a decrease in levels of health and happiness. Can we just say this? Can we be real for a second that some of the craziness going on in our country, as they begin to explore, sometimes it happens because the people who are behind it feel like they don't belong. Some of you are into psychology, And you know Maslow's hierarchy, you can forget that, but if you like that kind of stuff, Maslow's hierarchy, so he has these levels of of what it means to experience the human experience. The third layer is the whole idea of belonging. Beyond that, philosophers, see if you recognize this, the great British philosophers, see if you recognize their name, great British philosophers, Their name is The Beatles. Anybody recognize that? Yeah, here's what they said. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all what? Belong. We have a deep need to belong. From psychologists to singers, we all know it. We all sense it. We all long for it. And yet, here's what I know. Listen, listen, listen. Some of us in this room aren't sure where we belong. There are some of us in this room are pretty sure then we're convinced that we don't belong anywhere. And here's what Paul wants you to hear, that in Christ, all the teenagers lean in right now. Young adults and teenagers. I'm talking to everybody, but all the adults and teenagers lean in. All the young adults and teenagers lean in right now. Paul wants you to know this. In Christ, you belong to a family, the family of God. You belong to the family of God. That's what he's saying in these verses. He's saying you are the children of God. In Christ, I belong to a family where God is the father. And because I belong to this family, there's several realities and we're gonna talk about them and be done today. Several realities. But listen, everybody look here. If you get these realities and all of a sudden they begin to pop in your life, here's my hope. I'm just gonna tell you, here's my hope today. 
not everybody in this room belongs to the family of God. And my hope is today that some of you who don't would grab a chair around the table and say yes and become part of the family of God. There are some of you who belong to the family of God, but somehow along the way you have forgotten you belong. And what Paul wants you to know is this, is that living the Christian life is living into who I am. I am a child of God. Look back at Romans 8. Let me show you a couple things and then we'll be done. Romans 8, go to verse 14. I want you to see this. Actually, 15, I lied to you. Go to 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. I want you to write this down. Because I belong to the family of God, I have a new identity. I have a brand new identity. I am not only a child of God, but I'm an adopted, listen close, I'm gonna use this word on purpose. It's gonna leave some of you uncomfortable. I'll tell you why in a second. I am an adopted son of God. You're saying, Dan, didn't you mean sons and daughters? No, no, I meant son. I'm gonna show you why in a second. I am an adopted son of God. Now, here's what I want you to know. When Paul says this, this imagery of adoption that he uses is real. Like in the Roman culture he's talking to, it is real, it was a legal process, and it was personal to some of them. The the adoption process took place like this, that when there was a wealthy adult who had no heirs, no sons, what he would do is he would adopt somebody to be his heir, to be his son. And the moment, get this, you'll see where I'm going, the moment that he adopted them. Tracking, imagery is powerful, right? The moment he adopted them, here's what happened. All of that person's indebtedness was paid in full. That person who was adopted got a brand new name. A brand new name. That person who was adopted all of a sudden had a brand new inheritance. They They were heirs to everything that was the father's who was adopting them. Beyond that, that adoption was irrevocable. It was for a lifetime. And the only obligation, the only thing that the adopted one had for the rest of their life was to honor and love their father who adopted them. What Paul was saying, don't miss this, he's saying, in Christ, I belong to the family of God. I have a new identity. In Christ, I am an adopted son of God. Now, ladies, everybody, all the ladies look here. You notice I'm saying, son, will you guys promise you won't be offended? Can we just say yes? Please, some of you say yes. Will you be promise? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> you got to explain this, right? On purpose, I think what he's saying here is you're an adopted son of God, and I don't want you to be offended because, quite frankly, what Paul is saying when he says you're adopted sons of God in their culture to their ears would have been radical, it would have been, it would almost been scandalous because what he's saying when he says you're an adopted son of God, you have to understand how it would have hit their ears to totally understand it because in their culture, the only one with the privilege to be that heir was a son. And what Paul is saying, all the ladies look here, he's saying men or women who are in Christ have that position. That's what he's saying. 
you don't want him to say sons and daughters because daughters in their culture didn't have that same privilege. You want him to say, now men or women have that identity. Listen, listen, can we just make a deal? Can we make a deal? You ladies, will you promise me you will not be offended if he calls you sons? If I promise you I will not be offended when the Bible says I'm part of the bride of Christ. Can we at least do that, right? All the guys look here. Doesn't that leave you a little uncomfortable like the bride of Christ? Like, oh, it's like, what? It's just a picture. It's just imagery. But if you understand it, it's like, oh, he's making a point and it's radical. It's radical. He doesn't just stop there, but when he says adoption, it tells me two things. Now, I want everybody to listen to what I'm going to say because I'm going to say something that in our culture isn't necessarily popular. When Paul uses this imagery adoption, you know what he's letting me know? that none of us, none of us, now you guys say it with me, none of us are born into a natural relationship with God as Father. All of us at one time or another are orphans. All people are not God's children. I want you to hear me say that. Even if you're like, I don't know if I like that, just hear me say it, okay? because it's pretty common. Everybody, we're all God's children. No. And he uses this picture. And he wants us to understand that there was a time when we're lost. There's a time when we're orphans. The second thing the adoption picture helps me with is this, is that the entire adoption process is all initiated by the father. The kid doesn't negotiate, doesn't pay for, doesn't do anything to get it. Here's what that tells me, that I'm lost, I'm an orphan, I'm not naturally born into this relationship with God as my father, but he came chasing me, he paid the debt for me, he invites me into his family, and it's all by grace, it's not by what I do. And the minute I say yes to Jesus, you know what happens? All of my indebtedness paid in full. You know what happens the moment I say yes to Jesus? New name, child of God. You know what happens the moment I say yes to Jesus? I'm an heir of the king. That's kind of cool. You know what happens the moment I say yes to Jesus? Irrevocable for the rest of my life. And you know what happens? Now my main opportunity and responsibility is to love and give honor to the one who adopted me. I love the picture. He says we have a new identity. Beyond that, just look at verse 12. I gotta make this point. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, and since I've already kind of left some of you uncomfortable, can I just say this? Uh, your Bible is reliable. Okay, if you got NIV, NASB, ESV, da 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 whatever, it's reliable, okay? But when this part of your Bible was written in Greek, I just want you to hear this because I want the Bible to pop for you. I want it to come alive. So when you read it in its original, that's not originally what Paul says. He doesn't say, therefore, brothers and sisters. He says, therefore, Adelphoi. You can forget that, but that word is brothers. He says, therefore, brothers. Like we feel a need in our culture, like we gotta include the sisters, right? And, and, and I get it. Can, you guys promise me you won't be offended again? Like I'm, I'm on thin ice, right? But he says, therefore, brothers. And, and, and here's why I want you to hear this, because the reason he says, therefore, brothers, is it makes it pop, 
Because he wants us to know our identity that we are brothers in Christ. And it's okay that he says, sister, it's fine. We're brothers and sisters. But he wants it to pop because think about it. To that Jewish audience, those who would have been Jewish in that church, when he says that, they realize that their nation began, was rooted in a father who had a son. His name was Abraham. He had a son named Isaac. And that eventually their nation was rooted in a tribe of 12 what? Brothers. What Paul was saying, listen, in Christ, we brothers. And there ain't no half brothers. There's no part brothers. There's no like, well, you've been saved for like five minute brother. And these are the people who've been saved for 50 years, brother. He said, we brothers. That's what he's saying. He's like, we're in, like, like that term brother has gotten benign in our culture, hasn't it? Like, like we just call everybody brother, right? You, you know who we call brother? Come on, can we have confession? Shake your head. Can we have confession? We say brother when we forget somebody's name. Can I get an amen on that? Oh, don't judge me. I do it all the time though, right? Like, hey, brother, (laughs) like hoping their name, the older I get, I got more brothers. That's all I think, right? Can I tell you single guys who are followers of Christ, can I give you a little secret? You single guys who are followers of Christ, like when you ask that single gal who's a follower of Christ out and she says to you, well, I love you like a brother, that ain't good. Can I just tell you that, right? It's not going good. It's, it's benign, but not to them. Not to them. I was talking to Sammy about this two weeks ago. Like, like they would have understood family. Like, no, we are brothers. Like, with everything that means, we're sons. We got all the privilege, and we are connected. There is a rootedness, and there is no half-brothers. We have a new identity. That's not all we want you to know. This is so, so interesting to me. Look at verse 12. It says, therefore brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Now, everybody look here a second. I'm going to teach you something. What I'm getting ready to share with you is so important, and it comes, and and you're going to sense a little bit of passion, and it comes from 26 years of hundreds of conversations in my office. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. When Paul says, therefore, you learned this last week. He says, therefore, and therefore is therefore because it's pointing to something before, and whatever is before will tell me what therefore is therefore. Remember we learned that? You got that, right? And so I got to look at what was before to understand why therefore is there, right? So key. And what was before is because... I'm free from the penalty of sin because I'm free from the power of sin because I'm a child of God. He says, therefore, I don't have an obligation to the flesh. What's he saying? Everybody listen. He's saying, I got this new power. Now, I won't explain what he's saying. A new power, yep, I got a new power because the spirit of God is in me. I'm not obligated to my flesh. I have a new power. Power for what? Paul is blunt. Listen close. Paul was saying that the child of God has a new power to kill sin. I have a new power to kill sin. The fact that Paul says this, this is where I need you to really dial in because of the conversations I have in my office. The fact that Paul says this assumes something. That even for those of us in the room who say we're children of God, we're a follower of Christ, it assumes something, ready? Ready? This might be new news to some of you. That sin still lives inside of us. Anybody agree with me on that? 
the fact that sin still lives inside of, I know you guys don't struggle with this. I can already see it in your eyes, but it's the very reason that I do the things I don't want to do. I know you don't struggle with that. And it's the very reason I don't do some things I know I should do. You know why? Because sin's inside of me. It's interesting when I don't realize that and recognize that, I become vulnerable. Here's what I want you to know. When I become a child of God, sin is dethroned. Sin is dethroned, but it is not destroyed. It's still alive. And so what I need to understand, what Paul is trying to help me understand is I gotta know how as somebody who the spirit of God lives in, how do I live with this new power to kill sin? I wanna give you some practical things. So get your pens ready. Very first thing I would say is this. If I'm gonna kill sin, I would write it down this way. I need to quit trying to tame sin in my life and I need to kill it. We live in a culture that wants to tame sin. We want to somehow live with it. I got it under control. It's no big deal. I can tame it. It's, you know, I, I've, I've got things under control. I've got some accountability. I've got no problem. We try to tame sin. We try to get it under control. Taming sin in our life is just as crazy, I think, is having some wild animal as a pet. You ever, you ever watch these like news articles? Like this always fascinates me where, where these people have these wild animals as pets and then we're surprised when the wild animal turns on them. Like, like I, I found this, this is true. This is CNN 2009. You can check me on this. 37-year-old Pennsylvania woman died Sunday after being mauled by her pet black bear whose name happened to be Teddy. Doesn't matter what you call the bear, bear's a bear. The woman was attacked when she entered the bear's cage. Go figure. We always act surprised, like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Like, really? To feed the 350-pound animal. The bear lived in this 15 by 15 foot steel and concrete enclosure. The bear wasn't the only unusual animal living on the property. The homeowner had a permit to keep a bangled tiger and an African lion on the same property. What's the point? The, can, can, can I just say this, that this? Let me make an announcement. If you, if you got a pet bear, I ain't coming to your home for supper. I'm just gonna let you know that, right? Amen, right? I mean, we act surprised, but the same thing is true about sin. We're like, well, man, I can kind of keep it caged up in my life. I can kind of somehow tame it. And eventually what happens is that which I think I tame, boom. John Owens, an old Puritan, said it this way. This is worth writing down. He said, you must always, keyword, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. You must always be killing sin or it will be killing you. Now, listen, listen, listen. Let me tell you, let me tell you the mistake we make. We try, to, we, try to, we try to tame sin in the flesh. You tracking with me? And you know what we do? When sin's in our life, you know what we do? We, we try to get religious and keep the rules. Like I'm struggling with sin, so I'm gonna become a better person. I'm struggling with sin, so I think I'll go to church more. And what Paul just told us was, no, 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 things are different. We don't have obligation to the flesh. So I gotta quit trying to tame sin, but I gotta go beyond that. And I gotta quit trying to cover sin. Let's throw that next slide up there. I gotta quit trying to, the next slide, there, there you go. There you go. Quit trying to cover sin with religion. Because what happens when I cover sin with religion, what happens is I am obligating myself to the flesh. Well, I struggle with sin. So I'm gonna all of a sudden keep the rules better. I struggle with sin, so I'll go to church. And so we try to tame sin by covering with religion. So here's the question. Ready? 
Here's the question. I really want you to lean in. I can see it in your eyes, actually. And I had multiple conversations this last week, so what I want to share with you is so practical. How do I kill sin in my life if I'm a child of God? And everybody look here. How do I kill sin? I don't think you can kill sin just by, I'm going to try really hard. I don't even think it's by, I'm going to get some accountability partners, although I do recommend that. I think the secret to killing sin is recognizing that if I'm a child of God, you ready? The Holy Spirit lives inside. And that's the new power. And when I recognize that new power, it's going to help me understand some things. The first thing I got to do is stay with me. I got to recognize sin in my life. I got to recognize that sin has been dethroned. I'm going to give you five things. So I'm going to just give you one. They all start with the same letter. I made it easy. But if I'm going to kill sin, I got to recognize it. That's me listening to the Holy Spirit in my life. That's me listening when the Spirit of God, some of you have come into my office and here's what you've said. You said, I kind of knew this was wrong. I knew I shouldn't be. And you're like somebody, you're like, I'm a child of God. Part of what the Holy Spirit does in our life is point out sin. In fact, the C word, let's skip a slide, is simply this. It's simply this, let's go next one, is conviction. That's what it means to be convicted by the Holy Spirit is I recognize sin, and so I recognize there's sin living in me, and the Spirit of God living inside of me convicts me. You ready? So, I know that's wrong. How people come, I know that's wrong, is what they'll say to me. I, I, I'm so uneasy. Well, I gotta keep going. I can't just recognize it. What's the second thing? I want you to write this down. I gotta repent. I gotta repent. What in the world does it mean to repent? If the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in me, killing sin simply is this, is me recognizing it and then coming into agreement with the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. You know what the Bible calls this? You gotta write this down. It's called confession. Confession is just me recognizing under conviction where I'm not focusing on what the Holy Spirit desires and it's me coming into agreement with the Holy Spirit. Listen close. If the Spirit of God resides in me, it's me calling my sin what he calls it. If you want to kill sin in your life, it will not happen. If you sanitize it, you justify it, you rationalize it, you minimize it, it will not happen. It won't. I'm, I, I want to beg you to hear me. Spirit of God inside says, I want to point it out, that's conviction, but I come and I call it what he calls it. Ah. Uh, you know, Pastor, I, I'm kind of hard on her. You know, I'm a, sometimes I can kind of be mean, but you know, I'm not really that bad. <sighs> you see what I mean? See, see how we justify and we rationalize? We're like, yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> trust me, I've seen a lot worse. You see how it works? It's like the only way to kill sin is to recognize it and repent. And repentance is me calling it what he calls it, and then I'm gonna turn. Now listen, here's where a lot of people stop. 
I have people come in my office and they're like, I'm so sorry and they're broken and like, boom. And then what happens is just like I used to work with inmates, just like inmates, they'll go in and out of prison. They'll just keep going back to the same thing. You tracking with me? It doesn't die in them. I gotta take the next step. What's the next step? The next step, let's skip, there you go, is to refocus. It's to refocus. And refocus, for those of you who grew up maybe in church, there was this big word, and I'm gonna use it just because it begins with C, is what it means when we say the word consecration. It's worth writing down, here's what we said, that following the spirit is a matter of focus, not hocus pocus. That I am gonna begin focusing my mind on what the Holy Spirit desires. I'm gonna preach the gospel to myself, I'm gonna remind myself of who I am in Christ, That's what it means, what I have in Christ. That's what it means to refocus. So I'm gonna recognize, that's conviction. I'm gonna repent, that's confession. But consecration is I'm gonna refocus. We said this last week. The Holy Spirit desires to reveal the truth of the word of God to the child of God in order to make a big deal of the son of God. That happens to be Jesus. That's what he does. And so I recognize sin, I repent, call it exactly what he calls it, and then I refocus. And I begin to focus on what the Holy Spirit desires. Listen close, I'll never kill sin. Listen close. I will never kill sin, are you with me? I'll never kill it. If all I do is recognize and repent, but never refocus. That's why he says, set your mind on things above. That's why he says it. I'm gonna struggle killing sin in my life if I never spend time listening to, memorizing, pouring over the word of God in my life. You know why? Because the spirit of God reveals the truth of the word of God. See how it works? And I have so many people come and they're like, oh, I recognize and God made me so uncomfortable and I'm so sorry. And then two months later, oh, I recognize and I'm so sorry. What are they missing? They're missing refocus. Because when I begin to refocus and begin to set my mind on the things the spirit desires, it leads to restore. And restore is just simply me enjoying communion with the Spirit of God. So I will have fellowship with what I'm focused on. And part of killing sin is recognizing, repenting, calling it what he calls it, refocusing, and then following, enjoying fellowship with the Holy Spirit because my mind is focused on what he desires. And when that happens, I go from restore to replace and replaces just this, Christ-likeness begins to show up in my life. Listen, I think that's what it means to kill sin in our life. Some of us maybe are at the first stage where it's like, I'm not even at the stage where I recognize it. I promise you this, if the Holy Spirit lives inside, he gonna show up if there's sin involved. He gonna show up. For cinema, but he shows up so that not so he can be like, you bad. He shows up. It's like, listen, you're missing the life attached to Jesus, which is life to the full. The bear's getting ready to attack you. Quit trying to tame it. Call it what he calls it. Refocus, restore, 
And then all of a sudden, I begin to replace with the fruit of the Spirit. Just two more things really quick I want to show you. And then we're done. I want you to see this. And I want to tell you a story. Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You ready? And by him we cry. Everybody say those next two words out loud. By him we cry what? Abba, Father. What in the world does that mean? That's not some 70s band, right? I mean, what does Abba, Father mean? That's what a little kid would have called their dad, right? Like, like my dad growing up, my dad, like I would watch him in circles like this and everybody's like, Pastor, Pastor Gregory, Pastor Gregory, which is why I don't like you calling me that, right? I, Dan's my name, but Pastor Gregory, that's my dad, right? Or, or they would call him all kinds of things because he played different roles. You know what I called him? Daddy. Like I would watch all these people call him, Pastor Gregory, can I have an appointment with you? And you know what I would do? I'd run in and I'd say, hey, daddy, you want to play? Guys, don't miss this. What Paul is saying is, is that we have this opportunity to run into the presence of God and call him daddy. We have a new intimacy, a brand new intimacy. Makes me think of a story that I think is fascinating. There's a guy named Russell Moore. Some of you have heard that name before. And this is his story. Listen to this. Some of you might be able to relate. He says, the creepiest sound I ever heard in my life was, ready? Nothing at all. He said, the creepiest sound I ever heard was in the scariest place I've ever been. My wife Maria and I were walking into an orphanage in an old mining community in the former Soviet Union. He said, we were on the first of two trips to begin an adoption process. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know anyone else, and we did not know the language. We walked into the building. It had a haze of cigarette smoke and gray despair all around us. He said, when we walked into this building that he said was the most awful place I'd ever been, the stench was overpowering. He said, I wanted to gag. It was so overpowering. The squalor was awful. He said, I could not imagine children being raised in this environment. But he went on to say this, as bad as that was, what bothered me the most was the silence of the place. Walking down the hallway, my wife and I could hear the echo of our own footsteps. He said it was ominous. We were in a building filled with babies, everywhere babies, and the overwhelming sound was silence. He said we could not hear a sound. We came to find out that situation was typical of orphanages and other places, and the reason for that was that babies always cry for a reason. They cry because they're hungry, hurting, scared, just want to be held, but after a while... But after a while, if a baby cries and there is no response, a baby will stop crying. He goes on to write, as we walk down the hallway, that's exactly what we saw, room after room with cribs rocking themselves against the wall as babies comforted themselves, having given up on being heard. He said, as they led us into the room where our Two soon-to-be sons were one year old apiece. The situation in that room was the same. 
There was absolute silence when we walked in every day while we were there and silence when we left every day. You ready? He writes, until the last day. This was the first of two trips, he says, and we had to do all the legal processing so that on the last day before we returned back to the States, on that last day, he said, we felt this tight knot in our stomachs. When the time came and they came and told us it was time to go, Russell Moore says, I did the only thing I could think of. I placed my hands on the boys' foreheads and I said this, I will be back. I will not leave you as orphans. And then Russell Moore says, we, my wife and I, walked out into the hallway And the moment we did, one of those little boys fell forward into his crib and screamed. Russell Moore writes, it was the most terrifying yet beautiful sound I think I've ever heard. He turned to his wife and he said this, he's screaming because he knows that he has parents now. He's screaming because he knows he'll be heard. The fact of the matter is, what Paul wants you to see is this, is that God walked into your room as an orphan. And he said, because of what Christ did, I want to offer to you the adoption of being my son. So that when you cry, when you holler, when you yell, when you speak out, you will be heard. And you can call me daddy because I'm your father. There's one last thing that I think Paul says, and and then we're done here, David. We're gonna be done after this point. I want you to see it though, verse 16, and then, then we're over. Because I, I, I bet you some of us need to see this. Verse 16, it doesn't make sense. We read it and it's like, what does it mean? The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Everybody look here. Let's just explain it. Let's try to make, make work of this. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit testifies with my spirit that we are children of God. Now, now everybody look here. I've heard this verse abused. I, I hear people all the time saying, and I, I felt the spirit or I heard the spirit. And it's like, what do they mean? You know, all kinds of stuff, right? It's like, I don't know. Was that the spirit? You know, I was reading a story this last week about this guy who, who, who ran a recording studio. You might be able to relate to this. Christian guy had a recording studio. This lady wanted to come in and record her songs. And she asked if she could bring her team in and uh, her prayer team she's going to record these songs. And he said, sure, no problem. They come in, they get everything set up. He said, she sounded awesome. In the middle of the song, she's like, stop. He's like, oh, freaking out. He's like, stop. He's not here. The guy running the recording studio is like, who's not here? She said, the Holy Spirit's not here. She said, stop. Let my team pray. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And they said, start it again. Second time sang. He said, it sounded like an angel. It was beautiful. And she said, stop. He's not here. He's like, what do you want to do? 
She did this three or four times. Finally, the fourth time, she stopped him again. She said, we got to anoint everything with oil. He has very expensive equipment. He's like, I don't know how I felt about that. They began to anoint everything because the spirit isn't here. She started the fifth time singing her song. True story. He looked down at his equipment and he realized that he had forgotten to turn the reverb on in her earbud. So he just real quietly turned down and turned the knob so that the reverb, that which made it full and robust, all of a sudden was in her ear. And as she began to sing, all of a sudden she said, he's here, he's here. <laughs> listen, 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 listen. What Paul's talking about here is not spiritual reverb. What is he talking about? He says, the spirit testifies with my spirit and tells me I'm a child of God. Literally, the word testifies is where we get the word martyr. What he's saying is, is that in some of us, some of you can relate with what I'm going to say. There's this trial going on telling me who I am, who I'm not, what I deserve, what I'm worthy of. And many of you, the biggest accuser in your life is you. There are some of you that you have other people that are accusers in your life and they're saying you are a failure, you are not worth and you need to know that Satan is called an accuser. So you have three people on witness against you most of your days and what he's saying is spirit of God shows up as the key witness and he says, I was there when they said, yes, I'm the one who knows. Boom, they are a child of God. That's what he's saying. Case closed, done. I have a new security. And what he says is the verdict is they are a child of God and everybody listen and that will change the way you see God and it'll change the way you live this life following Jesus. Seeing God as your father changes everything. Seeing God as your father changes everything. Let me tell you what I mean by that. When I was in college, I had friends who were married and they had kids. I was single. And, and I can remember, like, I didn't understand it at the time. Some of you might be able to relate. If you're single, you might be able to understand. They would invite me over and like, Dan, you got to come over. I'm like, cool. Like, we're going to eat and you got to see what little Festus is doing. I'm like, awesome. Like, I go to the house. I'm a college student, right? And I get over there and little Festus is laying on a blanket like, ah, I'm doing this, right? And I'm like... That's awesome. And like, no, you got to watch. And like little fest is it. And then little fest goes, whoop, and rolls over. And they're like, isn't that great? And I'm like, not really, you know? <laughs> like I do that in my sleep, you know? I'm, I'm, and so they put little festes up against the couch and like, no, you got to watch. And there's little festes with his dirty diaper on and his chubby little legs. And he's like hanging onto the couch. And all of a sudden they're like, come to me festes. And he looks and he lets go. And he, he kind of does this and he takes one step, two steps and boom, he hits the turf. Like, Dan, isn't that great? I'm like, not really, you know? I watch, I walk across the room, no problem, right? I'd watch those fathers and I'd always watch them, and you know what I never saw? I never saw one of them say, Festus, what are you doing? Why did you fall down? You know what they did? They, like, wanted to create a national holiday because Festus walked two or three steps, and every time, you know what those dads did? They reached down, and they picked up their kid who fell, and then they encouraged him to walk again, maybe four steps this time. Everybody listen. This is where I'm done. I gotta understand something about God. I did not understand that until I became a father. And when my kids came on the scene, you wanna know something? When they rolled over, everything stopped for me. 
when they took their first two steps, I was like, that is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. When they fell on their face, you know what I did? I didn't say, what's wrong with you? Get up, you know? I reached down and I picked him up, stood him back up. And you know what I did? I said, come on, take four this time. He's saying, why is that important? Because when the spirit is inside of me, he's testifying, I am a child of God. I have a father who reaches down and picks me up when I fall. But he loves me, listen close. He loves me way too much to leave me where I'm at. You see, if I stood here today and told you my 18, 19, 20, whatever age your kid is, your old child was still crawling, you'd be like, really? See, a father loves you way too much to leave you where you're at because like, man, I'm glad you took those two or three steps. Can't wait for the day you're able to run. It's gonna be awesome. You see, that's why some of you leave here on Sunday morning. You tell me this and you leave here and you feel this sense of grace and inspiration because somehow you know that God is the father who picks you up and that's the spirit testifying with your spirit. That's the spirit. Listen, if you leave here and you're like, oh, I just feel like spirit's not testifying with your spirit, I'd be aware. But it's not just that he testifies that I have a father who's picking me up. The spirit testifies with my spirit that there's a father who loves me too much to leave me there. Everybody look here. That's why some of you leave here and you feel this conviction and this motivation. You know why? Because his spirit is inside elbowing my spirit and saying, come on. You will not change if the people beside you are the ones elbowing you. But if the spirit inside of you is elbowing you, that's his spirit testifying with your spirit. You're my child. I chose you. I adopted you. I love you. I'll pick you up when you fall. Come on. Come on. Come on. I want you to run. Everybody across the room, I'd love for you to bow your heads. I'm going to invite Aiden to make his way out with the team. And every head bowed. Whether you close your eyes or not, that's your business. I don't normally do this, but I want every head bowed. Just, just go with me here for a second this morning, guys. All across the room, some of you are here this morning, and you do not belong to the family of God. You do not belong to the family of God. And this morning, that's become blatantly obvious to you that you're not in Christ. Can I just tell you this? This is the good news. This morning, God, God is walking down the hallway of the orphanage that you're in. And he's saying, I sure would love to take you and sit you around my table. I'd love to point my finger at you and say, your debt has been paid. You are now my child, my heir. It's irrevocable. This morning, you can walk out of here knowing you belong to Jesus. You belong to the family of God by simply saying yes to Jesus. Some of you are sitting here right now and you've never done that. Why not right now? Why not this minute? Why not this minute? Say, yes, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior and my Lord. I want a seat around the table. I want to call God my Father. I want Spirit of God inside. I want free from penalty of my sin.
I want life attached to Jesus. There are some of you that are here this morning and you would say, I've said yes to Jesus, but truth be told, this idea of belonging to God's family has escaped you. Some of you are sitting here and you're trying to tame sin in your life and it's like this big cycle that keeps you in a prison. And this morning he says, no, no, quit trying to tame that sin and start killing it. Spirit of God lives inside. Start calling it what he calls it. Recognize it when he calls it out in you. And then take your mind and focus on what he desires because what he desires for you is a life that you cannot imagine. Life abundant, life full. Some of you are here and you didn't even know where you belong. And in Christ, you belong in the family of the God of the universe. And he says, when you cry, I hear you. When you cry, I hear you. And when you fall, I'll reach down and pick you up. But but listen, I love you way too much to leave you there. And maybe this morning, you, child of God, need to simply say, God, I'm living with a 350-pound bear called sin. And this morning, I want to kill it. This morning, I want to kill it. I want to call it what you call it. I'm done fooling with it. I'm done feeding it. I'm done covering it. I want to kill it. And I'm asking you to help me. Some of you are just such a mess and so lonely and such in a dark space, you just need to cry to your father. He says, you cry. You bury your head in that bed and cry. I'll hear you. I'll hear you. Some of you have fallen and you're like, oh my goodness, I've tried and I've fallen. He said, no, 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 I'm a father that picks you up. But I'm not gonna leave you there. I'm gonna love you enough to encourage you to keep walking. God, what a powerful, powerful picture that we are children of God. Thank you for a poignant, powerful, and profound picture of your love for us. God, I pray that we would leave here living into who we are in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.